Hey, how's it going, everybody? Chris Trapasso here. Welcome in to another episode of the Prospect Podcast. This episode is going to be dedicated to rookies on every single NFL team that were picked after round one, who I believe have what it takes and have the opportunity to be impact players in year one. And certainly the term impact player has a pretty broad range. Some of these guys are going to be key contributors that are high volume players and others might be swing tackles that I believe have the talent to stand in in replacement duties and be quality players as rookies. And really thinking about it over the last couple of years, Antoine Winfield Jr., Jeremy Chin, Antonio Gibson, Michael Anwenu, Legereus Sneed, uh, and that was just last year, 2019, Debo Samuel, Miles Sanders, Elkton Jenkins, DK Metcalf, of course, Terry McLaurin, AJ Brown, so many very important players picked round two or later have come in, hit the ground running as rookies and been very important members of their NFL teams, despite not going in the first round. I'm going to run through the NFC on today's podcast, and I will get to the 2022 draft class probably in August as we're gearing up toward training camps. It seems like there's a lot of need and desire for rookie and young player content because training camps are right around the corner, and pretty soon preseason football will be here. Then we can move ahead once the college football season is very close to the 2022 draft class. I'll start in the NFC East, the Dallas Cowboys. The player I picked, Chauncey Goldston, Goldston, the edge rusher out of Iowa. The impressive stat to know, and I'll list one of these for each of these rookies, and this article is up on CBSSports.com, but I'm going to dive a little bit deeper here today on this podcast. The impressive stat to know with Chauncey Goldston, he had 35 quarterback pressures on just 244 pass rushing snaps last season at Iowa. In watching his film, I saw someone that was a very refined pass rusher. And what I mean by that is understood how to use his hands, had a bull rush in his arsenal, wasn't just trying to win with speed around the corner or through a left or right tackle on every snap. And probably the reason why he wasn't trying to win just around the corner with speed and quickness, he's not the quickest and most explosive edge rusher that is in his rookie season in 2021. He's a little bit stiff with his movements. We saw that at his pro day was not tremendous, but I think Chauncey Goldston is pretty close to being NFL strong. He's almost 6'5", 269 pounds, very long arms. Actually tested pretty well with his vertical and his broad jump. The three cone and the short shuttle, which are pretty indicative of future success at the edge rusher spot, were not very good. The three cone, 16th percentile among defensive ends. 20-yard shuttle, 17th percentile. And that really shows up on film. But looking at this Cowboys roster, they desperately need more help around the corner. There's Demarcus Lawrence. And they really don't have much else. If Alden Smith returns, uh, he played pretty well down the stretch last season. But And really for most of the season returning um, from his long hiatus from the NFL. But to have someone else, have that third rusher, we know the teams need two, three, four good rushers around the corner. I think Golston is big enough and strong enough and polished enough 
to help that Cowboys defense. We know the secondary was absolutely abused last year. I think that was partially because the pass rush just wasn't very good. They certainly needed more talent along the defensive line as well and more talent in the secondary. But I think Chauncey Golston, picked after the first round by the Cowboys, can be a quality rotational piece in his first season in Dallas. Now to the Cowboys' rivals, the Philadelphia Eagles, Zach McPherson. The impressive stat with him, four interceptions and six pass breakups in just 10 games last year at Texas Tech. What I like about Zach McPherson's presence on the Eagles roster, it's going to bump Avanti Maddox, who I think is a, can be a very good nickel cornerback, into that position. He kind of had to play out of position last year. There were so many injuries. They really didn't have the talent at that position in Philadelphia. He can play nickel. There's Darius Slay opposite him. And with McPherson, the Eagles got someone with a 40-and-a-half-inch vertical, and his three-cone was well under that seven-second threshold that if you listen to this podcast, you know I'm always looking to see, regardless of position or size. If you don't have a three-cone close to that seven-second time, unless you're a nose tackle that weighs 350 pounds or an offensive tackle that's 320, there's a little bit of a cause for concern. But McPherson was under the seven-second threshold. 40 and a half inch vertical, and he was productive at Texas Tech. And I watched his film. I saw someone that was very fleet of foot, good instincts. Certainly the ball skills are there, and that shows with what he did in the stat sheet, four interceptions and six pass breakups in 10 games. And the Eagles have needed more defensive back help for so long. Even in 2017, when they won that Super Bowl, it seemed like they could have used more talented secondary members. They bring in Darius Slay, but since they brought him in, he hasn't really had any help in that Eagle secondary. I think Zach McPherson, it's Zach, Z-E-C-H, not Zach. It's an E in the middle of that. I think he can be that day two or later pick that can be a good contributor as a rookie for the Eagles. Now the Washington football team, I went with another cornerback, Benjamin St. Just, started at Michigan, Transferred to Minnesota. He only had one career interception, so that could be a little bit alarming to the listeners. Like, one interception in college, and he's the guy. He was a third-round pick. He's 6'3", 202 pounds, and he had a three-cone time of 6.63 seconds. That put him in the 93rd percentile among cornerbacks over the last 21 years at the Combine, or obviously last year there wasn't a Combine, or this past draft season it was just pro days. That's really impressive, 93rd percentile. To be that tall and to be able to have that quick of a three-cone time, and I saw that on film. You could tell he was bigger and longer, but I saw someone that did not have any problems changing directions and staying with those quick separators at even the short levels of the field. Usually the 6'3", 200 plus pound corners with long arms are just trying to beat you up at the line of scrimmage. They're good defending the back shoulder game or in those contested catch situations down the field. I think St. Just can be someone that can stay with outside corner or outside wide receivers underneath and at the intermediate level. And the Washington football team did sign William Jackson, one of the more underrated cornerbacks, outside cornerbacks in football. He's going to be a big part of that ascending defense. And they have Kendall Fuller, 
But to have another player that can play on the outside, whether that be if they need to just roll him out there against teams that have bigger wide receiver units, or if there's any injuries in the secondary, I think St. Just can be, St. Juiced, I believe, can be that contributor who was not picked on day one for the Washington football team. And for the New York Giants, I went with the obvious one, Aziz Ojulari, the edge rusher from Georgia. He generated a pressure on 21.8% of his pass rush snaps at Georgia last season. And he did that as a 20-year-old. So right there, to be that productive, not just tackles for loss, not just sacks, but pressures, the things that we know are more predictive of sacks in the future than sacks alone. When you're pressuring the quarterback at a high rate, if you're over 18 or 19% in college, you're doing something right very often. And he was doing that as a redshirt sophomore. My thing with Aziz Oljulari during the pre-draft process, after I watched him and I compared him to other edge rushers in the class, I see someone that reminds me so much of Von Miller the year before he left Texas A&M and was the second overall pick in the 2011 NFL draft. I think he's that type of explosive, surprisingly stout against the run, powerful, some pass rushing moves. His And I'm someone that typically likes to see edge rushers or defensive linemen in general have three or four or five different hand moves to be able to beat blockers. And I'm not someone that just oh, hey, this guy's got a good speed rush, and that's what he can lean on in the NFL because typically you do need to have some type of counter. Ojulari has that, but his outside speed rush is so explosive, so fast, and he's so bendy that I think that can be a trump card for him as a rookie. Moving to the NFC North, I'm going to go with the linebacker, Isaiah McDuffie from Boston College. They picked him on day three. The impressive stat to know with him, he had 107 tackles, six and a half tackles for loss, and three sacks in 11 games last season at Boston College. Now, if you listen to this podcast, if you read any of my writing at CBS Sports, you know that I always am harping on linebackers that are really showy at the line of scrimmage or in the box making plays against the run. I don't typically lean in that direction. I want to see linebackers that make plays in coverage. Ask any of the first-round pick linebackers from the 2020 draft if coverage is important, and they will be able to tell you that it is after their rookie seasons, the, the, what they had to deal with as rookies. And this is Isaiah Simmons, if you want to place him in the linebacker role, uh, Kenneth Murray, um, the Texas Tech linebacker, is com- his name's completely escaping me right now that was picked by the Seahawks. And if you're listening, you're probably thinking of it. Uh, they all had Jordan Brooks. They all, it always takes like four or five seconds when I have those moments for the names to come to me. Jordan Brooks, they all, and even Patrick Queen of the Ravens, they all had problems in coverage because in the NFL, it's not just about stopping the run. It's 60, 70% of the time as a linebacker, you need to make a play in zone, cover a linebacker, cover a running back, or cover a tight end, or cover a running back out of the backfield. So with McDuffie, you'd think, hey, this guy wasn't anyone that was this crazy coverage player in college. But the athleticism is there. And at Boston College, 
they asked him to really be a, a close to the line of scrimmage, sideline to sideline defender. And he played that role very well. He reminds me a lot of Matt Milano, who went to Boston College and was kind of this strong side linebacker that was almost this overhang player, never really made a ton of plays in coverage. And now he is a an elite coverage defender because his athleticism translates to being good in coverage. He's fluid hipped. He is very light on his feet. He's aware when the football's arriving. I think Isaiah McDuffie can be that type of linebacker for the Packers. And they don't really have a star at the linebacker position. And it's a good defense if you're a linebacker to accumulate a lot of statistics with Zadarius Smith and Preston Smith and Kenny Clark and Dean Lowry up front eating a lot of those blockers. They're commanding a lot of attention. You can be a big-time linebacker that's not a first or a second-round pick. And we know that the Packers, that organization, uh, to go from Ted, the late Ted Thompson to Brian Gunekunst, they're fine with plugging in Chris Barnes and veterans that are on their last legs or seventh-round picks. doesn't matter. I think Isaiah McDuffie can be a quality player. He is very sudden. And his closing speed on the football is insane. Very sure tackler as well. Next team in the NFC North, the Minnesota Vikings. Had to go with Wyatt Davis, a second-round pick. This was pretty easy. Uh, he His impressive stat is that he only allowed a pressure on 4.7% of his pass-blocking snaps in 2019 and 2020 combined at Ohio State. Last year wasn't as good as 2019. 2019, he was very boring in pass protection that he was getting a lot of first round buzz, even from me and from a lot of draft analysts like, Hey, Wyatt Davis is going to be the first guard off the board. 2020 rolls around through the big 10 schedule. Look to be that mid to late round first round guard. Then he gets to the college football playoff and it was kind of ugly. So I think there will be a little bit of a learning curve with Wyatt Davis, but the opportunity will be there. Because the guard position in Minnesota has not been very good over the past couple of seasons. And even going from Gary Kubiak to Clint Kubiak, the guard position is very important in that wide zone-based scheme. A lot of play action, a lot of instances when the guards have to get out in space. And Davis isn't the most capable athlete, but he's under control. He's got a good center of gravity, plays with good knee bend, not going to get driven back very often, can recover, uses his hands well. He's just kind of a high floor offensive guard. And that is an offensive line that the Vikings have slowly but surely reshaped over the past couple of years. They have Brian O'Neill at right tackle. They have Ezra Cleveland, who I believe is a tackle. They have him at guard. He's athletic. Garrett Bradbury needs to take that step at center. They draft Christian Darasaw in the first round, left tackle, athletic, big, effortlessly powerful left tackle. Plug Wyatt Davis in at left guard. I think you can have a pretty good and very young offensive front for Kirk Cousins and Dalvin Cook in Minnesota. For the Lions, this one was pretty easy too. Amon Ross St. Brown, his impressive stat, he had 118 catches for 1,520 yards with 13 touchdowns in his last 19 games at USC. He was the consummate possession wide receiver who occasionally hit that big play over the top. 
He's not a crazy athlete. He's not a 4-3 guy. He's not extremely explosive with a 42-inch vertical. He didn't run a three-cone at 6.5 seconds. But at USC, in a relatively, quote-unquote, pro-style, old-school pro-style offense, he had to run every route in the book from the X receiver to Y at the Z spot. Didn't matter. And he wasn't just running hitches and goes and slants. All different routes, a variety of them with multiple breaks to create separation. I think he is someone that can overcome a relative lack of athleticism and be a quality possession guy for Jared Goff. And I've said from the get-go, once they picked him, I instantly drew the connection to Robert Woods. I kind of felt some Robert Woods vibes with him. Maybe it was because of the USC, the helmet scouting. But I really think that Robert Woods is someone that's not a crazy athlete, not the biggest, not the fastest, but it was very productive with Jared Goff. And I think I'm in St. Brown on a team without really any semblance of star power at the receiver spot can be a high volume player as a rookie. Chicago Bears. I guess this is a pretty easy pick division here. Went with Tevin Jenkins the offensive tackle they got in the second round. I had a first-round grade on Tevin Jenkins. I, if a team would have picked him, if the Minnesota Vikings would have picked him instead of Christian Darasaw, I would have been fine with that, although I did have Darasaw ranked a spot or two in front of him. If a team picked him in the late 20s, early 30s, I would have been fine with that. He goes in the second round after the Bears trade up and get Justin Fields. I thought that was the most slam-dunk first and second-round combo of any team in this 2021 draft, Justin Fields to the Bears in the round one, and then Tevin Jenkins in round two. His impressive stat, Jenkins allowed a pressure on just 2% of his pass blocking snaps in 2020 at Oklahoma State. And there were some times on film where Tevin Jenkins would drive a defensive tackle or an end or a linebacker into the turf. And I think those moments those highlight reel, highlight reel, retweet worthy plays uh, created a stir, and they led to a lot of people thinking, "Hey, this is this mauler. He's this old school masher at right tackle." I, I didn't see that as something that he regularly did, but what I did see and why I did like him so much, he was a smooth operator blocking the perimeter. Very strong, high-caliber athlete, bull rushes. There was one rep, and this was another highlight reel worthy play. Ronnie Perkins of Oklahoma had this insane one-arm, dead-arm, straight-arm, whatever you want to call it, bull rush that he actually put Tevin Jenkins on skates. That was the only time I saw Tevin Jenkins on his 2020 film look out of sorts. The rest of his reps, he was either in full control of his assignment or was able to recover if he initially lost at the point of attack. He's almost six foot six, only 317 pounds. I think he can add five to 10 pounds to that frame. He'll get stronger. He's a franchise left tackle for the Chicago Bears. NFC West now. San Francisco 49ers went with Trace Sermon, third round selection out of Oklahoma and Ohio State. His impressive stat, 4.5. 04 yards after contact per rush last year at Ohio State. That was the 11th highest rate in the country 
among the 94 running backs who had at least 100 carries or 0.04 yards after contact. And really, even at Oklahoma with Trey Sermon, there were so many good backs there in, in front of him, and they like to use a running back committee. They certainly, with Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray and Jalen Hurts, they were wanting to throw the football frequently. But even there, Trey Sermon was one of the better yards after contact backs in college football. He just never got that lion's share of the carries, which probably precipitated his transfer to Ohio State where he saw a better opportunity at still a marquee program. And we know what he did against Northwestern in that Big Ten title game going over 300 yards rushing. I'm really bummed that we didn't get to see Trey Sermon in that national title game against Alabama. I don't think it would have changed the outcome, but it probably would have made the game a little bit more competitive. He gets hurt on the first play, separates his shoulder, and he is a zone blocking scheme specialist. He's not... Saquon Barkley, he's not Christian McCaffrey that can make two and three and four defenders miss on a play right in in a short area. He can press the front side, hit the backside, one cut and go. And he's six foot, 215, very strong, powerful legs. Churns through that contact, which is evidenced by that 4.04 yards after contact per rush last season. He's with Kyle Shanahan. He's in that time-tested scheme that doesn't matter who the running back is or what his pedigree is, he's going to produce. And, oh, by the way, this is not an undrafted free agent from Purdue or Matt Breda from Georgia Southern. This is a big recruit that played at Oklahoma and was very productive there and at Ohio State in Trey Sermon. For the Seattle Seahawks, I went with Dwayne Eskridge. The impressive stat with him, he's a wide receiver. He caught 74 passes for 1,617 yards. That's almost 22 yards per catch in his final 21 games at Western Michigan. Eskridge just feels like a Seattle Seahawks wide receiver. That it doesn't really matter the size for Pete Carroll and John Schneider. They want two main attributes at the receiver spot. Speed and contested catchability. Think about Doug Baldwin, Tyler Lockett, and then certainly the gargantuan DK Metcalf because they know how good Russell Wilson is throwing the deep ball. And they still, unfortunately for Russell Wilson, want to run the ball and then hit big plays over the top. That's kind of the offensive philosophy. Hopefully for Russell Wilson and the Seahawks offense, that philosophy gets altered a little bit in 2021. And that's the type of wide receiver Eskridge is. He is a downfield burner as evidenced by that almost 22 yards per catch average over his last basically two seasons at Western Michigan. And I saw a lot of contested catches on film too. He's not, you know, Mike Evans by any stretch, but but for being a around 5'8", 5'9", wide receiver, he was good in those contested catch situations. He was just under 5'9", and 190 pounds at the Western Michigan Pro Day. And really that size, that height weight combination, he's pretty thick. To be under 5'9 and 190 pounds, he's chiseled. I think he will be that third weapon down the field that I think the Seahawks really needed. And I think that's why he was their first pick. They only had three selections. Dwayne Eskridge, Seattle Seahawks, he will make an impact as a rookie and be, I think, a very good player during the Russell Wilson era in Seattle. For the Arizona Cardinals, 
cornerback Tay Gowan. His impressive stat, two interceptions and eight pass breakups in 12 games at UCF in 2019. He opted out in 2020, which was a bummer because he did show that he could maybe be a day two selection with the film he put out there in 2019 at UCF. What was weird about Tay Gowan during the pre-draft process, he looked super long on film, but his arms measured in at just over 31 inches. And if you're not a gigantic draft nerd, the threshold for some teams, like if, if he would have to have been drafted by the Seahawks, they liked cornerbacks that have 32-inch arms. If you're in most outside corners are somewhere between 31 and a half and the super long guys, 33 and change. The nickel corners, the smaller inside guys, they can be 30 and a half to close to 32 inches, but 31 and one eighth inches is very short. It's short arms for someone that was an outside corner that was very disruptive. He's over six foot, almost six, 186 pounds. And he ran 4.49 in the 40, and his three cones, 6.86 seconds. So the fact that he's tall and he's pretty light allows him to really glide around the field. And I just think for not being a crazy athlete, the instincts are there. He reads the eyes of the wide receiver and understands that he needs to get in the way of the football. As they're raising their hands, he finds it. He's not having a lot of passes uh go right over his shoulder and, and fall into the lap of a wide receiver attacks those in breaking routes and those comebacks with authority and gets his hands on the ball pretty frequently Two interceptions, eight pass breakups in 12 games at UCF. And really look at what Arizona has at corner Malcolm Butler, kind of the corpse of Malcolm Butler, 31 years old, Byron Murphy, the second round pick in 2020 had a okay or 2019 had okay early parts of his career, but not great. And then that's it. They, they don't have another solidified starter that looks like a quality cornerback, especially on the outside in Arizona after trading or after releasing Patrick Peterson. Did they trade him? Why am I forgetting that? I got to look that up midway through this podcast. Why am I forgetting? Did they, they traded him? They released him? I should know this. Okay, he signed with them. Jeez. All right, so after, not that Patrick Peterson had been great over the last couple of years, but he was at least an established force at the that very difficult to find outside cornerback position. Tay Gowan can be, maybe not the next Patrick Peterson, probably not, but sixth round pick who can come in and contribute and earn that key role as a rookie. L.A. Rams had to go with Bobby Brown, the third. Because the Rams moved on from Michael Brockers, signed with the Lions in free agency. And I thought Michael Brockers was such a key part of that defensive line. That certainly Aaron Donald, arguably the best defensive lineman, defensive player in NFL history, what he's able to do, generating pressure, and how good he is against the run. But having a big block-eating nose tackle next to him that was very athletic and could also get upfield in Michael Brockers. I think that has helped Aaron Donald. I mean, he's certainly going to draw the most attention, but Michael Brockers was a solid player for a long time with the Rams. And Bobby Brown is that type. He's 6'4", 321, long arms, 
highly athletic, moves like he's much smaller. Oh, and his impressive stat, seven and a half tackles for loss and five and a half sacks in just nine games last year at Texas A&M. There are some stretches where looks like his conditioning might not be amazing, but when he has it turned up, he is a game wrecker at 6'4 and 321. And he's going to get to play next to Aaron Donald. That's like the most luxurious position you can be in as a bigger defensive lineman in the NFL. Now moving to the NFC South, the last division here in the NFC, Atlanta Falcons, safety, Richie Grant. If you have been listening to this podcast, if you followed me during the pre-draft process, during the draft or afterwards, you would probably know I was picking Richie Grant here, their second round pick, because I had a first round grade on him. I had him in my, inside my top 20. He was my most fun watch of any defensive player. Uh, maybe Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa from the Cleveland Browns might have been a little bit more fun, but Richie Grant was up there in that he was truly a multidimensional playmaker. I think the term versatile or multidimensional gets thrown out there a lot. Like, oh yeah, you could put this corner inside at nickel. He could hold up. Richie Grant was making plays in every single role that UCF put him in. At free safety, at slot corner, at weak side linebacker, as a blitzer, someone that needed to stop screens. That's what safeties have to do today. There are very few one-role safeties in today's NFL, and that is someone that is strictly a free safety or just a box safety or only a slot defender. The best safeties in the league, Jesse Bates, Jordan Poyer, uh, Micah Hyde, Derwin James, forgetting a bunch, uh, Anthony Harris, Harrison Smith, those, and forgive me if I just forgot like two or three of them, like those are the guys that really not only popped into my head just then, but they are the really multi-dimensional safeties. Buda Baker, Tyron Matthew. I don't know how I forgot Tyron Matthew. They are so versatile, and that's what you have to be in today's NFL to be a good safety. That's what Richie Grant can do. His impressive stat, 10 interceptions and 16 pass breakups in his last 34 games at UCF. He tested well. The Falcons don't really have a star in their secondary. They haven't had one since that Super Bowl run. Richie Grant can be that guy. Not just a role player. He will earn a key role on this Falcons team in 2021. Carolina Panthers, I went with Davion Nixon. His impressive stat, 19 tackles for loss in 21 games at Iowa. Big 10 Defensive Player of the Year in 2020. I have no idea how he lasted until the fifth round. I had a second round grade on him. He is very agile. He can threaten either gap on the same play because he can really sidestep and almost just use like a basketball crossover move to beat a guard or to beat a center. And the pass rushing moves are good. It's very hard to find a Iowa defensive player that is not well coached or a defensive lineman from that Iowa program that doesn't have three or four or five pass rushing moves that they can rely on. They all can. Kirk Ferentz and that staff does a great job coaching the fine details of each position, especially on defense, maybe a tight end too, and offensive line. So yeah, I guess a lot of the positions to all their players, that's how they maximize the skills and the talent that they have. They don't get a bunch of four and five star players 
but Iowa is usually one of the better teams in the Big Ten, in the upper echelon of the Big Ten, and can win bowl games across conferences because they are so well coached on the, the fundamentals. That's Davion Nixon. He'll get to play next to Derek Brown, a big space-eating athletic nose tackle. And the Panthers are rebuilding. They have, they have so much youth on their defensive line. They famously picked all defensive players in 2020. They went away from that a little bit in this past draft, but Matt Rule is fine playing young guys on that defense. And Davion Nixon, I think, can be a pretty productive pass rusher next to Derek Brown as a rookie. New Orleans Saints absolutely had to go with linebacker Pete Werner. His vertical, broad jump, and three cone were all at the 80th percentile or higher among linebacker prospects over the past 21 years. He is a crazy athlete. And then you see that he measured in at almost six foot three and almost 240 pounds. This is not some 5'11", 215-pound safety who's trying to be labeled as a linebacker. This is a big, athletic, fluid linebacker. And early in the process, I watched Ohio State film. Everyone was talking about Baron Browning. I liked his film. It was a mid-round grade for me. Late in the process, I watched Pete Werner, and I was like, man, this is the guy. His coverage ability, flipping his hips, finding the football, ranging to the sideline, hitting like he is six foot three and 240 pounds, the closing speed, the ability to stack and shed blockers on his way to an outside run, or when he just needs to stay between the confines of the tackle box and make a play, throw the guard to the side and make a play on the football. That's Pete Werner, and he has the length and the athleticism to be a very, very good coverage linebacker, and he gets to play next to Demario Davis in that defense. Last but not least, the Super Bowl-winning Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I went with Robert Hainsey, offensive lineman, and I know what you're thinking. Hey, that offensive line set. It's not going to get any playing time, but Robert Hainsey, who only surrendered to pressure on 3.8 of his pass rush pass blocking snaps last year can be that rotational interior blocker that we saw when the buccaneers had a little bit of a rough stretch in the middle of the season last season in 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 the middle of last year Ali Marpet went down with an injury and the depth at guard was pretty bad Hainsey played tackle at Notre Dame. He probably needs to be a guard in the NFL. But I love how strong of a grip he has. And that's not really something that you hear a lot about when it comes to offensive linemen. But we know with defensive linemen and edge rushers and interior rushers, they're trying to swat down the hands of the offensive linemen or swipe them. Hainsey, once he locks on, it's over. He needs to get stronger. He can sometimes be a little bit off balance. But his grip strength, I thought, was the best of any blocker in this draft class, especially any of the blockers picked outside of the first round because there were some good ones in the first round. And if Alex Kappa doesn't really play up to snuff or there is an injury on the interior, we know that starting five is pretty set. 
Robert Hainsey can be that guy. It's it's hard for to be a rookie on this Buccaneers team to make an impact in year one because they brought the whole team back from the Super Bowl. It's kind of the same with the Bills. They brought everyone back too. But Robert Hainsey can be that important, even if he only needs to play two or three games when Alex Kappa has an ankle injury or whatever it may be. Robert Hainsey has the skill set, especially that strong grip strength, to be a very important role player in year one for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. All right, that's all I have for today. I'm Chris Trapasso. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review the Prospect Podcast. Thank you for listening.